chapter 22. It's page 881 in these Bibles in the pew. As we prepare to come to the Lord's uh, Supper in just a few moments. One of the things which ties Christians together all over the world uh, is not just a common faith, but whether you are in uh, the United States or in China or in Russia or in Uganda or Mexico or Iraq or Australia or Indonesia, what ties us together is the Lord's Supper. Uh, and to understand it properly, whether you are very familiar with this or this may be new to you, uh, we must understand what took place in Jesus' day uh, with Passover uh, that was been observed for almost 1,500 years by the time we come to this in Luke chapter 22. So follow along with me as I read beginning in verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us to prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray for just a moment. Our Father, we ask that uh, with the psalmist we pray you'd open our eyes that we'd behold wonderful things from your law. Lord, we know that the Lord's Supper brings us to a point of decision to look at our own lives, whether we really believe in Christ or not. May you make that clear. <clears throat> May you give us understanding, if we are in darkness this morning, as to uh, the truth and reality and application of the gospel to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Passover was also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was a meal that is celebrated in observance and in celebration of looking back to God's deliverance of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. Verses 2 to 6 here in the passage tell us about Judas. Uh, Jesus' enemies are seeking an opportunity to kill him. And they are angry at what he has said. They are infuriated that the crowds are following him. And they are plotting against him. But they need an edge. They need an insider to help them. And they find that person, or rather that person finds them, in Judas. Verses 3 to 6 that we read tells us that Judas knew the chief priest wanted Christ dead. And uh, he makes a plot. He gives them a plan to deliver him to them. It was at his initiative, and they promised to pay him for his efforts. And so he makes the deal, and from that point on, the plan is set in motion. Now it's Thursday of that week as we begin in verse 7 and following. Jesus will be crucified the next day. All this is happening in Jerusalem. He probably went to the temple that morning, as would be his custom. He probably went there. He taught. And then from there, he sends two of his followers, Peter and John, into the city. And he tells them to look for a man who will be carrying a pitcher of water and that that man will be a guide to a house where there will be a room, an upper room, large enough where they can go and have the Passover meal together. As we get to verse 14, it's evening now, and Jesus and the disciples are gathered there in the upper room. They're reclining, as was the pattern of the day, at the table. Jesus most likely was at the head of the table where the household head would typically sit for that meal. And in verse 16, he says he desires to see the Passover with them, to eat the Passover with them this last time. Perhaps as he has anticipated the very specifics of his torturous death for many, many years as he had known what would happen, perhaps he did this because he wanted the encouragement. Perhaps he wanted the fellowship before the torture which lay ahead. Now Luke assumes a lot of knowledge on our part. He does not go in and describe in detail the Passover meal. But it may help you and me, especially if we're not from a Jewish background, to have an idea of what took place that laid the groundwork for what comes with Jesus instituting this, the Lord's Supper. It's pretty easy to understand the Passover meal because it's organized around four cups of wine. And it would transition from one cup to the other, and it had a different piece of the ceremony, you might say, went with each cup. The first cup, the father would take, the head of the household would take, he would take that, he would he'd call this first cup the fruit of the vine. And he would take a mixture of bitter herbs, he would dip those in salt water, and he would give some of that to each person who was there at the table. That's all that was done with the first cup of wine. Then the second cup is poured, but no one drinks of it yet. The father reminds them, after that second cup is poured, he reminds all the people at the table of God's blessings and promises to Abraham, their spiritual forefather from 2,000-plus years before. Uh, the, the, the man then, the father of the household, would recall God's faithfulness of delivering them out of Egypt. He would talk about how God gave his covenant, the Old Testament law, at Mount Sinai in the stone tablets. And then they would sing. They would sing two psalms, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, to express their praise and thanksgiving to God for his mighty works that he had done out of his mercy and his power. 
Then, at that point, they would drink that second cup of wine. Now, with the third cup comes the, really the main part of the meal. The father explains that those bitter herbs that he had passed out earlier represented the bitterness of the affliction that they felt while they were in slavery in Egypt. And on the table are two loaves of unleavened bread. And it's symbolic of how they had to leave in haste from Egypt during the night, that there was no time to make bread with yeast in it. And they call this bread on the table the bread of affliction. And there is the meat from the Passover lamb, and it represents how God passed over and he spared the lives of the firstborn in the households where the blood was sprinkled on the doorpost and the door frames. Now you would begin eating. This is really when the meal takes place. And the person presiding would take one of those two, one of the two large cakes of unleavened bread, and he breaks it into pieces. And he would break it into pieces to symbolize that in their poverty in Egypt, they only had pieces. They did not even have whole loaves. And he gives thanks, and it would be passed around. And you, if you were a participant there, you would take a couple of the pieces, and you would put the bitter herbs between them, and then you would dip that into a puree of dates and vinegar and raisins, and you would get a piece of the Passover lamb, and then you would eat. And now they would drink that third cup, this is the cup of blessing, and a special thanksgiving prayer was said over it. And they remembered with gladness how once they had been delivered from Egypt, how they were out in the desert. They remembered that after the Ten Commandments and the other ordinances that were ratified with the blood of, of animals, how Moses and the 70 elders could ascend the mountain and in the visible presence of God, then they would celebrate the anticipated blessing of eating and drinking. Now you come to the fourth cup of wine. And this is the final one. And they would sing. They would sing Psalm 115, and they would sing Psalm 118. And by now, after really a long period of time, it could have been several hours they had been together in the preparation of the meal and, and their fellowship together. They would have been filled with, with optimism and, and hope and thankfulness to God for his faithfulness in the past. And now they would drink that fourth cup, and the feast would be over. And so having been together now for a long period of time, having gone through this ceremony that they, from their backgrounds, had observed uh, numerous times in the past in their families or as they were children and now together, but now Jesus changes everything. At the end of this very familiar meal, in verse 16, Jesus says, He will no more eat this Passover meal with them until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And what he meant by that is, is what is explained later in the New Testament, that Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed, it says in 1 Corinthians 5. It would be fulfilled when Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So that's why in verse 17, Jesus says, take this, take this, divide it among yourselves. He was saying the Passover cup, this last fourth cup of wine, this fourth cup, is now abolished. In other words, he's saying, do what you will with it, for we shall have no more occasion for it. And in verse 18, he says he, is, he will not drink of it until the Spirit is poured out. And instead of the Passover, Jesus is going to initiate something entirely new, and that's the Lord's Supper. What is a sacrament? We hear the term around religious institutions about sacraments. Uh, a sacrament 
Well, look, look at your bulletin. <laughs> look, turn to the next page, please, from where we were. We will use this later in the service, but let me, give you a, let me give you a formal definition of a sacrament from the Westminster Larger Catechism. A sacrament is a holy ordinance established by Christ in his church as a sign, seal, and outward display to those within the covenant of grace of the benefits they have from Christ's mediation. It serves to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces in them. It obliges them to obey God and to witness to and cherish their love and fellowship with each other. And it teaches them from those outside and it distinguishes them from those outside the covenant. So a sacrament is something usually very ordinary, which has acquired a very special meaning. Now, we understand the Bible teaches there are two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. I think about baptism. What is more common and simple than water? Think about the Lord's Supper, bread and wine. In and of themselves, they have really no value, almost no monetary value, and very little value beyond that. But they become special in a sacrament because of what they represent. The bread, in verse 19 that we read, Jesus said, he, the bread represents his body. That's the giving of Christ's body as a sacrifice for us, commemorated by the breaking of bread. The bread is to be food for our souls. It shows how we are satisfied in Christ since he paid for our sins. And we do this in remembrance of what he did in dying for our sins. It's a memorial. It makes us partakers of him. So we don't believe anything special happens. It's strictly to remember what God has done. The wine, that represents the shedding of his blood. The cup is a sign of the new covenant made with us by God. It commemorates the purchase of that covenant through the blood of Christ. So what is most important as I drink of this as a believer is that I realize his death in the past was for me right now. The most important thing in partaking of the Lord's Supper is to realize that his death then applies to me now. That's the main thing. There's no need to make this very complicated. There's lots of debate through history about some specifics of it, but the intention of the Lord's Supper is for us to remember what Christ has done. Now you say, well, what's so important about remembering? I remember. I don't need this to remind me. It's interesting when you read the Old Testament and especially the Psalms, when it talks about the people of God uh, forsaking God, losing their faith, falling into apostasy, falling away from the faith, typically there is a phrase that shows up over and over. They forgot. They forgot. They did not remember. We are prone to forget. We are prone not to remember what God has done. So the Lord's Supper is to remind us of what Christ has done in being a substitute for our sin. Let me give you three applications as we prepare to come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. We come to exalt God. That's the first one. We do come with reverence. We come to the table with reverence because we're reflecting and remembering the death of Christ. But joined to that reverence is celebration. We come with joy. It's not a time to be somber. It's not a time to be morbid. It's not a time to be sad. Why? Because we celebrate the gospel. What's been accomplished? It's the Lord's Supper commemorating the death of Christ. And he says, observe this until when? Until he comes again. 
which means that if he died for my sins and I celebrate this table until he comes again, then of necessity something happened in between. His resurrection. His resurrection. And so he can't come again if he's still in the grave. So the resurrection is God's proclamation that Christ was who he claimed to be. So today we celebrate. We're not here to celebrate the church. We're not here to celebrate tradition. Or we are here to celebrate the gospel of Christ. Do you know that today? I mean, in a crowd this size, there's a possibility that maybe you are here today and you really don't know Christ. Maybe you've not put your faith in him. You know about him. Maybe you even respect and like what you've heard. But have you recognized that his death on the cross had particular application for each of us? That the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that all of us have turned away. Each of us has turned to his own way. And yet the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, that he became your substitute if you trust in him, that he paid for your sins, that there's not enough you can do to make yourself acceptable to God, that when you trust in that, that payment then is applied for you. It's offered to everyone in here. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your background, it's offered to everyone. And the secondly, application, we should come having examined ourselves. Over in 1 Corinthians 11, we have the details of what that means. It says, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're to examine ourselves. We're to take an inside look. Um, we're always to be satisfied with our redemption, Christian. You cannot add to the work of Christ. But we're not to be satisfied or become complacent with where we are in serving Christ. Uh, never be satisfied with where you are in your growth in Christ. We can be thankful to God for what he's done, and yet, like the Apostle Paul who said, I press forward. So we examine ourselves. What type of examination? I've collected questions from authors and other places, and I've written them down, and I use some of these such as, questions I ask myself. I was asking myself last night, is my relationship with God healthy? Am I pursuing holiness? Am I resisting temptation and putting sin to death in my own body? Am I growing in the means of grace such as prayer and worship and the scriptures and obedience? Am I confessing my sins regularly? Am I seeking to present every single aspect of my being as a living sacrifice for God? Am I a person of integrity by the Holy Spirit? Am I generous? Do I value people? Do they feel valued by me? Am I praying for others on a regular basis? And in the area of time, I said, have I been a steward of the time God's given to me? You know, as a pastor, I'm around a lot of cemeteries, and sometimes when I get there early, I walk around and I read what's on headstones and footstones. And if you look on a typical footstone in America, you've got a date on the left, birth date, You've got a date on the left, on the right, and what's in between those two dates? A dash. That's your life. We're living on the dash. That's what you are right now. And so I'm asking, am I making that dash count for God's glory? Uh, does it reflect loving God, loving others, serving people? Uh, have I been a steward of relationships? Have I offered words of encouragement to my spouse, my children, other family members, to friends and co-workers? Are your relationships with others healthy? Do you have unresolved conflict? 
Is it in my power to resolve that conflict? What steps can I take to do to resolve it before the communion service? Do I have attitudes of hatred and racism in my heart? Have I said anything unkind or hurtful to another person that I need to confess? Have I lied to anyone to whom I need to confess? And on and on. I have many others. Have I been a good steward of money? Am I being responsible for what God has entrusted to me? Uh, Am I being enslaved to debt? Am I giving more generously, etc.? On and on. Have I been a good steward of my relationship with God? Did I, I prepare my heart for worship today? Did you? What preparation did you make before you came to worship today? Have I sought to meditate on God's word day and night? Am I reminding myself of the truths of the gospel and God's grace and generosity to me daily? Am I committed to making disciples of all nations? Now, just from that brief survey, do you think this makes me feel better about myself? What does it do? It makes me say I need God's grace. It's perfect preparation to come to the Lord's table. Say, Lord, I'm dependent on your grace for what you did in the past. I'm dependent on your grace now, and I'll look for your grace as as I look toward your return when you'll come again. Third application is just that. Expect his return. We do this until he comes again. So you should live. And today especially, you should contemplate the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Does Jesus seem far away from you? There will be a day, the Bible tells us, when we will see him face to face. Is that a scary thought? We will see him face to face. And this meal is to be a reminder that he will come again. It's a foreshadowing of the great marriage supper, and our Lord will reign forever. And so when he comes, will he find us exalting him and faithful to him? I want you to know Christ today. If you don't have faith in Christ, it is offered to you today. You can walk out of this building as a new person. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what Jesus did just hours after this meal with his disciples. And he did on our behalf. And may our trust be in him and him only. We ask your presence now as we come to this sacrament that you've ordained. In Jesus' name, amen. A man in the 1700s who believed and wrestled with these things is named Augustus Toplady. And uh, he was an Anglican minister. He died at age 38. He wrote his most famous hymn that we sing is Rock of Ages. But he also wrote most of the words for this, Now Why This Fear? The words are in your bulletin. Let's stand and sing together this song by Augustus Toplady. Now why this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to
remain standing and join with me responsively with this question from the larger catechism. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance established by Christ in his church as a sign, seal, and outward display to those within the covenant of grace of the benefits they have from Christ's mediation. It serves to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces in them. It obliges them to obey God and to witness to and cherish their love and fellowship with each other. And it distinguishes them from those outside the covenant. Please be seated. Hear these words from Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As I said earlier, this is the Lord's table. It does not belong to First Presbyterian Church. If you are a member in good standing of a Bible-believing church, you are invited to partake. If you're a believer in Christ, I should say first and foremost, you're invited. We ask that children who've not yet made a public profession would refrain until they've done so, and we typically hold the elements and commune together. But we see this as a means of grace, that, that Christ is present, and he strengthens us through that. If you are rejecting Christ, if you've not yet come to where you believe in his work, in him, in the gospel, then just let the elements pass. The Bible warns about eating and drinking judgment to yourself. But I would urge you, I would urge you to pray and ask God to give you faith even as we sit quietly as the elements are passed. Let's pray together. Father, may you take this sacrament now, these simple elements, and use them as means of grace here in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As I read, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body for you.
the body of Christ for you. the same manner the Lord Jesus took the cup after supper and thanks having already been given, he placed it before the disciples and he said that the wine that was contained in the cup represented his blood that was shed for the remission of their sins. The meaning was that as they received this, as they received this in faith, that they were to know that what he was about to accomplish on the cross in the shedding of his blood was going to be the lamb's sacrificial blood for the payment of their sin that would be once, it would be forever, it would be final, it would be for them, and that they were to drink of this cup and that they were to be assured in the faith and all that Christ had accomplished and had told them that their sins were finally, fully, and completely paid for. We need, in the same way, to receive this cup with great joy to know that Christ has redeemed us by his blood from all our sins. Receive this now in faith in Christ Jesus.
author of the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of Christ was meant to cleanse our conscience from dead works that we might serve the living God, may we in faith receive from the cup of our Lord the remission of our sins. Eternal God, we are eternally grateful. We have no idea what it means to be eternally grateful. But eternity will go on and on, and we will remember all that Christ has done for us, that we would be with you forever. Now accept our thanksgiving and send us forth for your eternal purposes to advance Christ's kingdom on earth in our lives and in the lives of others. We pray this in his name with thanksgiving. Amen.